think I'm good. All right. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yep, you know where I'm going. I'm not behind a week. I know how to read a calendar, and still I say Merry Christmas all the same. That's because Christmas for us, for the church, for, for Christians, is not just a day, but it is a season. In the Christian year, Christmas is a 12-day season where we celebrate and reflect upon what the coming of Christ means for our lives and for the world. So say it with me again, because we can never say it enough. Merry Christmas! So why do I do this goofy gimmick every year on the Sunday after Christmas? Because I don't want to have to write a new intro? No, no, that's not it. Last Sunday, we celebrated Christ coming into the world on Christmas. We celebrated the baby born in the stable in Bethlehem, born to save the world. We celebrated, we rejoiced, we sang out joy to the world. And it's right to celebrate that. Jesus' coming is a huge, important, life and world-changing thing. We should celebrate. We should celebrate like a team who knows their victory is ensured. And as a Redskins fan, I have no idea what that's like. We should celebrate like a people who knows their deliverance is here. We should celebrate as faith, hope, peace, and love have entered our world and have changed the world. We should celebrate and we should continue to celebrate. But we also need to reflect. Jesus coming into the world is this huge thing that has cosmic implications for how we look at our lives and how we look at the world. And yet, how many times do we celebrate on Christmas Day and then move on with our lives as soon as the wrapping paper and Christmas tree are put out to the curb? How often are we too busy with family, dinners, presents, to pause and reflect on what this means. And I don't mean this as a judgment. This isn't to say that you and I are doing anything wrong. Christmas is a celebration. We just need more time. We need more Christmas. We need Christmas to be a season, 12 days, that's where the song comes from, so we can really reflect on what this means for us. So that's what we will do this morning. One of the first people to put pen to parchment and reflect upon the meaning of the birth of Christ was Paul. While his writings may come later in the Bible that we have and read today, the letters he sent to his churches were written within a generation of Christ's death and resurrection and a generation before the earliest gospel. This morning we are going to look at the letter he wrote to the church at Galatia. Galatia was located in modern Turkey, and the church was in the midst of a theological crisis when Paul wrote his letter to them. The Galatian church was struggling with how to understand the place of the law in light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They thought that in following the law and in being circumcised, they had found a higher way, a better way, that they had found a way to extra righteousness. Bonus points in heaven, if you will. Into this situation, into this discussion, Paul says this in Galatians 4. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave 
although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we are underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had finally come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Paul begins with an analogy that can be a little dense, as it is not part of our culture. So let's spend some time unpacking it. He says that even an underage heir is no different from a slave, even though one day he will own the house. Which is a seemingly weird statement to make. My only experience with heirs and servants come from watching Downton Abbey. Someone knew that was coming. And there was clearly a difference between Lady Mary and Anna. And yet, I think about Lady Sybil. She was a free spirit. She was independent. She was her own person. She was interested in politics. This was the turn of the 20th century, when to be a lady meant really not being into politics. She wanted to learn how to drive herself in a family that employed a driver. And she fell in love with a member of the servant class. All of this was against the wishes of her father. And it was made very clear to her and to us watching that to displease her father, to go against his wishes, could lead to her being cut off. Even as a lady, even as a child of the master, she was still to follow the wishes of her father just as his servants were. That's enough about Downton Abbey. Although I missed that show. That was so good. <laughs> Paul says that an heir is under the control of guardians and trustees. Were a minor to inherit his father's estate, he would not be free to make his own decisions about the estate on his own. Instead, there would be a guardian, a steward, a trustee to manage the estate. And the son would be forced to go along with whatever the guardian's wishes were. So this analogy functions two ways for Paul. To the Jews, Torah was the steward and guardian and trustee. It made all the decisions, set all the policies, and they were to be followed. But Paul is also using this analogy for the Greeks, which is why he talks about being a slave to the elemental forces. The Greeks had a complex mythology, a complex set of gods and goddesses that needed to be worshipped and sacrificed to and lauded just right to ensure that the gods would bestow favor upon you. There's this really interesting episode in Acts where Paul goes to Mars Hill and says, you all are a very religious people because I was walking through your market and I saw this shrine to an unknown god. That's how complex their mythology was, lest one god or goddess, even one they had no idea who it was, be offended with you. And if you did that, if you pleased the gods and goddesses just right, 
the elemental forces of the world would do the good things that you wanted them to do. Similarly, for Israel, following the laws of Torah meant God would send rain for the crops. These things ordered their life and they were forced to submit to them in the hopes of living a healthy, happy, and prosperous life. In the next week or so, we're all going to be making New Year's resolutions. We're going to look at our lives and think about what things we want to change, what things we want to add, what things we want to take out in order to improve our lives. Maybe this is the year we finally start exercising. Maybe this is the year we spend more time with family. Maybe this is the year we want to read more. Maybe we want to travel. Everyone all around us is making a list of things they want to do, things they want not to do, things they want to accomplish in the year ahead. How many of us have made New Year's resolutions? Have been thinking about our New Year's resolutions? Let's go ahead and talk to one another. Turn to the person next to you or around you and talk, say what, what things you want to do, and whether it's a formal resolution or something you've been thinking about. What new thing are you, or what, what resolution are you making for 2018? Do we have any brave souls that want to share their resolutions aloud? What's mine? So for me, I want to get back into running. I want to run another half marathon by the end of the year. Anyone else? Any brave souls? You're down for running? <laughs> you can hand me water on your bike. Any other, any other ones want to bear their resolutions for us all? Jack's got a good one. It's, see, it's, it's, it's fine. Resolutions are good. Resolutions are helpful. Resolutions can help us identify what is really important to us and how our lives are not being, live, being lived in sync with the values we claim to hold dear. If we are working too many hours and not spending enough time with family, a resolution can help us name that. If you're me and have spent too many hours on the couch and not enough hours on the treadmill, a resolution can help with that. Although, truth be told, my pants remind me of that every morning, but that's neither here nor there. If you spend too much time watching TV, a resolution to read more can help name that. If you eat out too much, a resolution to cook can help name that. And part of the way we change our behavior is to name the unhealthy patterns that aren't working for us. 
New Year's resolutions can be a great way at saying, here is where I want to go with my life. But keeping them and following them will not guarantee us happiness, prosperity, or joy. Sometimes I think we can look at New Year's resolutions the same way the Greeks looked at their gods and the same way Israel looked at Torah. Like we are enslaved to our choices and that if we make the right ones, if we keep the resolutions, then we will inherit all we could ever want, all the happiness we can ever need. Instead, Christmas reframes how we ought to look at how we gain happiness, how we gain prosperity, how we gain life. We have dealt with Paul's analogy, but Paul is not finished. After saying that as youths they were enslaved by the elemental forces, Paul says this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, that the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. What Paul is saying here is basically what Christmas means to the Galatians, and also what Christmas does for us. This is the very thing we said at the beginning of the sermon that we need to do, to reflect on what Christmas means for us and our lives after the presents have been opened, the wrapping paper put away, and Wash FM has gone back to playing Taylor Swift. Can you believe they started playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving and couldn't even wait till New Year's to switch it back? I'm putting Wash FM on blast. That's how the kids say they're mad at something. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> and Paul says that Jesus came into the world, born of a particular woman in a particular place, was born under the Jewish law in order to redeem those under the law. And this letter, written to a particular people in a particular place, says that those who think that being circumcised or living under Torah law is going to make you extra righteous are missing the mark. Jesus came to redeem people from slavery to the law. Jesus came to free us from tying God's favor to obedience to the law. Jesus came to free us from thinking that prosperity is tied to obedience to the law. Likewise, Christmas means for us that we will not find the perfect life through our New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions will not make us into the perfect person, spouse, parent, grandparent, employee, Christian, athlete, or whatever ideal we are trying to meet. Our adherence to our New Year's resolutions will not magically heal whatever part of our life we are trying to fix. New Year's resolutions are not a silver bullet to happiness, joy, or prosperity. Instead, what we see is that because of Christmas, we already are children of God. Jesus came so that we might come to see ourselves as God's children. So we might know that God is our Father. So that we might believe that no matter what we have done or haven't done, no matter what laws or resolutions we have kept, we are God's children. God loves us beyond measure. God came so that we could know that apart from any righteousness on our part, God has adopted us. 
This notion of adoption takes on particular significance for me. The man who raised me and the man that I call my father is not my father biologically. I'm not sure where my biological father is now. I've not had contact with him since 1993, a couple years after he and my mom divorced. In 1992, my mom married the man that I call dad. And shortly thereafter, he adopted my little brother and I and raised us like we were his children. He raised us as his children. I know what adoption to sonship means. This is what it meant for me. I grew up knowing love. I grew up knowing I was loved. I grew up knowing grace for moments of failure and joy and encouragement for moments of success. I grew up knowing someone would always be there for me. God came in Jesus Christ so that we might have a spirit of adoption, that we might know that we are loved by God, that we might know that there will be grace in moments of failure and there will be joy in moments of success, that we might know God will always be there for us, that we can have a future, that we might call God our loving parents, our dad, our papa. As God's children, we already have an inheritance. We don't have to wait for it like we are minors. We don't have to jump through hoops to get it. We already have it. It's called grace. It's called love. It's called being sanctified. It's called the life that leads to life. What does that mean for us today? Your life is changed by Christmas. Because of Christmas, we have been made and we know that we are children of God. We don't need to make resolutions in order to lead a happy, prosperous life. We need to see that God has already given his children a happy and prosperous life. Resolutions can be a way that we live into that life. But it's life that we already have. It's an inheritance that is already ours. It's not something that's ours in the future that we have to wait and work for. It's something that's ours in the here and now. This year, this new year, Christmas comes so that you will know that you are God's child. This year, this new year, Christmas comes so that you can receive and enjoy your inheritance from God. This year, this new year, Christmas comes so that we can be freed of our frantic attempts to make for ourselves a happy life. This year, this new year, Christmas comes to show us that a happy life has already been made for us by our Heavenly Father. So as we make and attempt to keep our resolutions, as we name and adjust places in our lives where we'd like to see improvement, perhaps our first and biggest resolution this year should be to see ourselves more and more as children of God. Not because of anything we have done or anything we will do, but in light of God's coming to us, adopting us, and calling us child. Let us pray.